Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. One of the things that I have admitted to before is that if you really listen to me talk carefully and closely over the course of the season, one of the things that you'll hear, kind of a theme that comes up, is that my way of looking at Georgia football is greatly influenced from my upbringing, that I came of age as a child back in the 1980s. And you know, a lot of times these Florida fans, people like that are like, I bet you don't even remember when Georgia won a national championship. And the honest truth is I don't. I'm not old enough to have to, to remember. I was alive in 1980. I just wasn't old. I was three years old. I just wasn't old enough to remember, you know, Georgia when it won its national championship. So I kind of came of age kind of post Herschel. I, I have a vague memory of Georgia winning the 83 Cotton Bowl. And that was a very big deal over, you know, what time is it in Texas, 10 to 9? Uh, that was a very, very big deal. And I have a vague memory of that. But that is like as early as my Georgia memories kind of go back. I remember being in the stadium before that, but the actual context, stuff like that, I just don't have a great memory necessarily uh, of, of that area prior to all of that. But my era was kind of post-Herschel and kind of a, you know, kind of the late stages of the Dooley era, but certainly listening very closely to Larry Munson as the play-by-play broadcaster and Vince Dooley as the head coach and both Dooley and Munson and this was actually kind of something that came up in the SEC network doc on Larry Munson and the other great SEC broadcasters they've got currently going one of the things that came up about Munson and that was he was just incredibly pessimistic so pessimistic about how good the opponent is how bad the luck is everything was just the worst ever and that was like one of the things that made Larry great is like he really felt that emotion. And I've told you before, I would never attempt to emulate Larry Munson, but this is not one of those things where I'm emulating Munson. It's just kind of in my DNA now, right? Like I've just sort of genetically evolved to view Georgia football as, oh, you better be careful here. The opponent's really good. Or, oh, you better be careful here. Something could go wrong. Munson says he was po- possibly influenced by Vince Dooley, some on that, uh, you know, <laughs> either way you know that was part of you know kind of Dooley's language there too that there is just a degree of you better be careful in any big moment because that's just kind of the way that the Georgia football conversation had you know went down when I was a kid and you can you can detect some of that in the way that I talk about Georgia football on a show like this and I'll never deny that and I think it's I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily I mean as I said before I think Munson's way of talking about Georgia football back in the 80s when I was growing up I think it was great I mean I think that that emotion was true and authentic and I think that it made me feel closer to the product to hear him discuss it the way that he did but at the same time I also think that as Georgia which is as a program now way better than it was in this particular era you know george is much more of a legit national championship contender right now than it probably ever has been at any point in time in my lifetime up to this so it seems appropriate that the conversation around georgia football would kind of evolve a little bit too to the point now where going into a game like saturday against arkansas with georgia getting healthier with georgia playing pretty well through the first four games of the season that larry munson style pessimism or that vince dooley style humility where you show great respect for your opponent and think about all the things that could go wrong for your own team that just seems a little less appropriate going into a game like this with a team like georgia against a team like you know arkansas on saturday georgia's a very big favorite seemingly for a good reason and in this particular case, I'm talking to, talking about the way that we as fans or you know media types view this. Not the coaches and the players; they have to have respect for their opponent, and they have to kind of certainly you know uh, kind of keep their words a little bit more buttoned up and a little bit more protective. We don't have to do that. We can be a little bit more free to have an open and honest conversation. So, the point here, as you go into Saturday, it does seem somewhat appropriate to kind of view this Georgia team if you're a fan of this team or someone like me that speaks as a fan on a on a show like this it just seems somewhat more appropriate to have some confidence to say yeah Georgia's in a big spot and yes Arkansas has exceeded expectations so far this season but man on Saturday they're going to be in a world of hurt coming between the hedges. They're going to be in a very difficult spot. They may have beaten a Texas A&M team that is imperfect right now with an injured quarterback and things like that, but but the what, what they're going to face against Georgia on Saturday is a far cry from all of that. And maybe you hear some Georgia fans saying that. Maybe you kind of don't. Uh, the, the thing that makes me think about this is the fact that 
Paul Feinbaum was on the ESPN College Football Podcast at the beginning of the week. I guess it goes back to what, yesterday maybe. And in this particular discussion, you know, he kind of brings up the Georgia-Arkansas game in much the same way I just said of, you know, Arkansas has done some okay things so far this year. But on Saturday against Georgia, it is an entirely, an entirely different scenario and one that's nowhere near as favorable to Sam Pittman's Razorbacks. So let me let you hear Paul Feinbaum on that. And I think it kind of kind of sets us up for the conversation we're already having. This is Feinbaum on the ESPN podcast. The, the real question now is, you know, can Arkansas keep doing this? And I mean, fundamentally, they're, they're really a strong team. Uh, Jefferson is banged up. You don't know what uh, his condition is and 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 it's it's unfortunate for them that you know they don't have auburn this week or or some or mississippi state because at the the, the apex of of arkansas really in the last uh, 10 years since bobby petrino got on a motorcycle and 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 shattered the program they they're going to georgia and that that is just not a good spot for them i don't i don't think and i don't mean anything against the team i think i think you know they'll compete but it's a tough turnaround. So cognitively, for the most part, I kind of agree with what Feinbaum says there. It's a tough turnaround. It's a tough spot, right? You play, uh, you know, Texas and uh, I should say Texas A&M and Jerry World. You win that game. You have the emotional high of now beating both of the big state universities in Texas. You feel great because for Arkansas, games like that always really matter. They hadn't beaten uh, Texas A&M in like nine tries. You got that win. Things are great. But, man, it's way tougher playing Georgia. It's it's way tougher traveling all the way across the SEC footprint, coming here to Athens. This is an entirely different animal that the very well-designed coaching schemes of Sam Pittman's two coordinators, Kendall Browse on offense and Barry Unum on defense, that may work really well against the teams that Arkansas has been playing. But when you face just the sheer talent that Georgia brings to the table, that's just a tough matchup. You're in a tough spot right there. Uh, you're not catching Georgia at a very good time on all of that kind of stuff. It's just a dangerous spot to be in. I kind of agree with Feinbaum on that. I think Georgia fans do too. However, here's the one point I want to make real quick. Once again, this is where my sort of Larry Munson style, ooh, you better be careful moment kind of creeps in here. Because there's one comparison to the recent Georgia past that I can't quite shake. And I just want to put it out there in the universe. I just want to say this out loud right now as a way of not saying this is what Georgia's going to do on Saturday. But if Georgia can avoid this on Saturday, it would be an example of how much the program has grown over the course of the last couple of seasons. What I want to do for a moment is I want to go back to 2019. So in 2019, I feel like you see the Georgia schedule unfolding fairly similar to the way that this current Georgia schedule is uh, shaping up right now. So Georgia started the 2019 season winning at Vanderbilt 30-6. to uh, Murray State the following week won 63-17. The following week against an Arkansas State team that was a little bit like the UAB team that Georgia just played, one of those like group of five teams that was actually secretly probably pretty good, and Georgia just walloped them. Georgia beat them 55 to nothing there that day in Athens. That really you have to go back to that 2019 season to find an instance of Georgia playing offensively as well week over week as it has against UAB, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. They've been on an offensive run over the course of these last three games that really is unlike anything they've done the last couple of seasons. Probably the beginning of the 2019 season, you have to go back to see that. And i got to tell you, after those three games for Georgia in 2019, despite the fact that it wasn't the world's greatest competition, I felt like Georgia was riding pretty high. They made it look easy against Vanderbilt. That was a slightly better Vanderbilt team than the one they played on Saturday. They were completely destroying, demolishing, overmatch competition like Murray State and Arkansas. And lo and behold, now they're set for a kind of a top 10 type matchup in Sanford Stadium where they were a big favor and it was supposed to be easy against Notre Dame. And the truth is Georgia won the game. I think most of us who remember the game, beyond the light show, beyond the atmosphere at Sanford Stadium, which was electric and so enjoyable, still the kind of thing I look back on fondly and and have great memories of, despite all of that, the game was actually way closer than it was supposed to be. Georgia gave up, what, seven uh, completions in the first half to the Notre Dame tight end, Cole Komet, in the second half. Uh, Georgia had to stave off a, a final drive from Notre Dame that could have won the game. Georgia's offense really scuffled that day against the Fighting Irish and kind of found yards tough to come by. And even though it was a Georgia win against Notre Dame, 
Unfortunately, it kind of turned out to be a little bit of a precursor for the rest of the season, that the Georgia offense was going to struggle to get points on the board in the games that would matter most in the 2019 season, for the most part, kind of ended up being pretty disappointing. Georgia got beat up bad in the SEC championship and, you know, kind of finished the season pretty far removed from its in-season goals when you look back at how that uh, that year started and the Notre Dame game in 2019 not being able to win that game more comfortably ended up being a little bit of a precursor for some of the stuff that happened after that now I'm saying all that to say this is that against Arkansas on Saturday in a similar spot Georgia a big favorite against a top 10 team on a national spotlight I do trust this Georgia team to be better than that. And there's a part of me that wants to shake off the pessimism of, well, Georgia's been here before in this spot and hasn't played well at home in a game which was a big favorite as a as a top 10 team against another top 10 type opponent. But it does kind of stick in the back of your mind there a little bit. So here's what I'm saying, and I guess here's my you know conclusion to all of this, is that I duly true believe this Georgia team is different. And I duly true believe uh, or I do truly believe is the, that's the what I'm trying to say here. I do truly believe that what Georgia has shown in winning easily against UAB and winning easily against South Carolina and obviously in incredibly dominant fashion on the road against Vanderbilt last Saturday is different than those early tune-up games in 2019 because this team is just more talented on both sides of the ball. The highlight reel for this 2021 team speaks to just how different they were in 2019. So keep this in mind. If Georgia does do what the experts think they're supposed to and make it look easy against Arkansas on Saturday, that's an example of program growth. That was something that Georgia wasn't capable of doing in a similar spot as recently as two seasons ago. And if you're looking for that belief that Georgia really is more of a true national championship contender than maybe that's been the last couple of years, handling Arkansas on Saturday would be a pretty big step in that direction. And it would be a reminder to those of us who may grew up in a time in which confidence and 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 true belief that Georgia was good enough to make it look easy for those of us who grew up thinking that wasn't necessarily the way to view our favorite team this Georgia team on Saturday may send a message that times have indeed changed my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video we start at 9 45 on the Dog Nation homepage and the uh, Dog Nation app. Then at 10 a.m. we get going on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Of course, after that, on-demand audio on the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, everything in between. Our friends on the radio in Athens on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. However you get to us, we're just really happy to have you here. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of George for making it all possible. When it comes to foundation waterproofing issues, these are two of the most challenging things that you as a homeowner can deal with. And if you're dealing with that right now, uh, let me just tell you that don't put off get it seen, getting it seen about. Don't put off doing what you need to do. Reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. First of all, they're proud partners of UGA, which makes them fun to do business with. It's always great to support those who support the dogs. And speaking of that, they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. So it is always with sincere thanks. I say uh, my appreciation to all of you who support those who've been supporting us for such a long time. And Engineered Solutions of Georgia is certainly an example of that. But more importantly, they just do good work for you. If you see the example of water intrusion in your home, whether it be your garage, your crawl space, your basement, or if you see those cracks in your walls or your foundation that let you know you may have a serious problem to deal with, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is equipped to fix all of that for you. They're a solutions-based company. They have two full-time engineers on staff, and they have a phone number that is very easy to remember. So simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll get you in touch with my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to Connor Riley. We'll do a Kroger fresh take with him, and we'll find out from Connor kind of how he views the Georgia-Arkansas game right now, specifically from the standpoint of, is this a Georgia team that is good enough right now to do what Arkansas, what the experts think that they should, which is make it look easy? Or is this an Arkansas team that provides a real challenge to UGA and a specific threat? Connor's words on that will be pretty interesting, and we'll do that here in a moment. But before that, let me give you a couple of my own words on this as we go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And there is one area in which if you want to be careful with Arkansas or if you want to really highlight the way in which the Razorbacks can be dangerous with Georgia, it's not really from a talent standpoint, from a measurable recruiting standpoint. There's a huge chasm between what Arkansas brings to Athens on Saturday and what Georgia has, whether it be starters, backups or anything else. 
the Georgia depth is just overwhelming its opponents right now. And even though Arkansas is a better team than what Georgia has been playing, certainly no one, even Razorbacks fans themselves, would expect the Arkansas talent to go head-to-head with what Georgia brings to the table. But you do have to be really careful with that chess match, the chess match that goes on with the, with the coaches in this game. In particular, I'm going to highlight Arkansas defensive coordinator Barry Odom for a moment because Odom is just a dude who has just been around the block. And one of the things that you hear said about Odom a lot is, is that he'll completely reinvent himself defensively to match the personnel that he kind of has. Like last year, it seemed like Arkansas was pretty thin with the front seven. That was This was a program that had come off like what a winless year the year before that. So this program is kind of a mess. He felt okay about his defensive backs. So they just, you know, totally reinvent a, a scheme that puts like six defensive backs in the field for the mo- you know for the most part majority of the time and they just kind of play that way right it's like this is where we feel like we're the best at so let's just put our best 11 guys in the field and I'll design a defense that works with the best 11 players I have available to me and so when you start thinking about you know what what Barry Odom is going to do on Saturday what he's going to try to do to to you know impact Georgia on Saturday as Georgia coach Kirby Smart said during his weekly press conference on Monday that Barry Odom's going to clearly use what he has to make it tough on Georgia offensively. And I think Smart's words ought to be taken seriously. This is Smart talking about Odom. Take a listen to this. First off, Barry does an incredible job. Barry is one of the, one of the few people that you can say he, he takes what he has and he gets what he has to work really well. So, like, he's been different in different places. He's not been the same guy everywhere he's been. He's, he's morphed. He's changed. He's changed with college football. He's innovative. He goes and looks and studies what other people are doing. Um, he, he, he forces your hand to maybe play left-handed, you know, where you, you can't do some of the things you want to do. Um, he's really good at it. And not only that, he's got some really good players doing it. Make no mistake about it, this is not the Arkansas that we played last year. Okay, those, those guys up front, he's got three transfers, two from Missouri, one from Illinois State, and they play extremely hard, and they're extremely physical, and they create an immense amount of problems for the people they play. And uh, you know, they, they will not be taken lightly by this group because they're doing an incredible job of creating problems for offenses. Just look at what they've done with those, with really the two big games everybody knows about, but they've really done it in every game. When Smart says they make you play left-handed, what he means is, think about like 90% of the population is right-handed. Now, my dominant hand happens to be my left hand, but 90% of the population is right-handed. And so think about like if you had to play basketball left-handed or if you had to play golf left-handed, if you're normally throwing your right hand, but now you're throwing your left hand. Think about how uncomfortable it would be for you, the 90% of you who are right-handed, if you were forced to do something left-handed instead you'd just be more uncomfortable. And I've heard smart coaches say this in the past where they say, defensively, I'm not trying to stop you. I'm just simply trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. And it seems like Barry Odom's kind of, that's what he's kind of good at, right? He's good at getting you to do something where you have a less chance of dominating uh, if you're doing that, to be, as Smart said, kind of figuratively speaking, left-handed there. And if you think about what we've seen from Georgia over the course of the first four games of the year, if you were a, a defensive coordinator trying to take away what Georgia wants to do, what would you be taking away right now? I think the answer that's pretty clear. I think after four games of what you've seen from Georgia on film, a smart Barry Odom is spending a lot of time this week saying, okay, what can I do to take Brock Bowers away? We've seen him score five touchdowns already. We've seen Georgia target him a huge number of times. I wonder what the Georgia offense is looking like if they're forced to try to throw to someone other than Brock Bowers on Saturday. Let's let that be the version of making Georgia left-handed. You can still throw it, JT. You can throw it. You can absolutely throw it. Just not Brock Bowers. Who are you throwing it to now if you're not throwing to Brock Bowers? That, if I had to imagine the chess match that's going on here, is what I might think that, uh, that Barry Odom is doing. But this is where it gets pretty interesting. Maybe the chess match for Georgia on the other side of this actually doesn't start at 12 o'clock this Saturday, but it actually started 12 o'clock last Saturday against Vanderbilt. Because think about this for a moment. Sometimes coaches work really hard to be secretive. Sometimes coaches work really hard to not reveal what they don't want the opposing coach on the other side to know. But other times, 
Maybe they want to flood the zone with information. Maybe they want to provide, you know, in baseball, there's a setup pitch. It's like you throw outside because you want to jam a guy inside or you throw inside three times because you want to hit him low and away. You're throwing one thing to set up something else. What if part of Georgia's offense last Saturday against Vanderbilt was a setup for Barry Odom to get him thinking about something as a way of softening up the other opportunities that Georgia had offensively, specifically here in the first half against the Commodores when you know, uh, Lad McConkey gets a chance to to score. Uh, you know, run on the end around, uh, and when uh, Brock Bowers scores that way, when you're giving carries to McConkey and Bowers, when you're showing that element of the Georgia offense, is it a chance that maybe that was a setup to, hey, Arkansas, look at this thing over here? Sometimes coaches call this eye candy, where you're you know forcing them to kind of pay attention to something, to look at something as a way of just giving them more to think about and practice this week. Hey, you want to stop Brock Bowers? Hey, also make sure you try to stop this with the end around too. And by the way, Kirby Smart talked about this post game against Vanderbilt that when you're giving carries to a Bowers or you're giving carries to a McConkey, all of a sudden that is that that is a setup for something else offensively, or it plays off the other things you can do offensively. So think about this as this ongoing chess match that Todd Munkin's role in that chess match against Odom. Maybe it actually started last Saturday. This is Kirby on those plays to Bowers and McConkey from Saturday. Well, the end of the rounds are misdirection plays. They're compliments off our run game. You know, if you overplay um, direct runs, then shots and perimeter runs are there. And if you overplay shots and perimeter runs, the direct runs are there. It's simple, right? It's they take this away, then this should be there. And uh, they're executing on offense at a high level and blocking uh, some of the perimeter plays early. We missed a couple blocks. Um, but after that, I thought our guys hit some explosive blocks. So in other words, just to kind of wrap all this up, that if you're Barry Odom, it's pretty clear based on how much he's been targeted through four games, you want to try to take away Brock Bowers. But what Todd Munkin showed you on Saturday is if you're thinking about taking Bowers away from this offense, just realize that we can use him in a multitude of ways. And maybe this is part of our game plan against you, or maybe it isn't. But we're going to give you a lot to think about in that week leading up to the game. And that battle of wits between Munkin and Odom on Saturday, boy, I think it's going to be a ton of fun. That is Around the Doghouse. It is presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. And speaking of a ton of fun, Georgia's Own Credit Union can be tons of fun for you there as well because of the great offer they have for you right now. I'm talking about the Visa Signature and Platinum cards. So many benefits to these cards, whether it be the contactless payments, which is obviously really convenient all the way around, or all the flex rewards that you can get as just a way of saying thank you for your business when it comes to Georgia's Own Credit Union and these Signature and Platinum cards. I'm talking about things that can be used really for anything like gift cards to travel cash back merchandise you can also get a 150 dollars bonus in many cases when you open a new platinum or signature card so you can check all of this out today uh, restrictions do apply so you want to learn a little bit more about that too it's georgia's own.org for more information that's georgia's own.org we appreciate georgia's own credit union bringing around the doghouse to us here today before we're done on today's show a pretty funny video from a recruit that you probably haven't heard of that certainly used George in a pretty creative way for his recent commitment announcement. We'll tell you more about that before our show is done. But now, for everything on the dogs and the hogs, what to expect when Arkansas comes calling to Athens on Saturday. Let's get it all right now with Connor Riley as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Kroger Fresh Take now with Connor Riley. Good to have him here with us. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that sometimes Kirby Smart says may be coach speakish in, in a way. But when Smart, you know, says what he says about Barry Odom yesterday, I, I do take that pretty seriously. I, I, I do have respect for Odom as a defensive mastermind. I think much the same way that George's ability to keep Dan Lanning was a big coup for this program in the offseason. If anything, Arkansas holding on to Odom was even bigger deal for that program because they don't have the same level of talent. Odom seemingly stayed in Arkansas for less money than he could have gotten at other places, maybe Texas included there. That this is a really good coordinator. And for as much as I love Sam Pittman, when you look at the success that Arkansas is having, the coordinators are a huge reason why they are as good of tandem as I think probably exists 
in the SEC. Um, what do you think about that matchup, that that chess match potentially between Odom and Munkin on Saturday? I think it could be a lot of fun to see how Munkin attacks it. I don't know if challenge is the right word. I think annoy might be the better word to use with what Arkansas is going to try to do. They drop eight a lot. They have a, a defensive line that is capable of – holding things up with just three guys there, and then they're allowed to get creative in the back end and bring guys from pressure. I'll be interested to see how much JT Daniels is able to move around on Saturday. However, as well as Arkansas has played this year, and I mean this with all due respect, I'm a huge Sam Pittman fan. It's well known how much I enjoy him. I told you guys last week Arkansas was going to beat Texas A&M on the money line on Go With The Flow. You can check that out on Fridays. That game on Saturday between Arkansas and Texas A&M was more about how bad Texas A&M was than I think how good potentially Arkansas is. And I think this Georgia team is going to be a much bigger test and a much tougher test for Arkansas than the Texas A&M team. I totally agree with almost all of that. I guess what I'd say is a couple of things here. Let's say that my hypothesis from a little earlier was is correct and that Odom views job one for a Georgia running game that hasn't been great as of yet, and for a Georgia wide receiver core that's still trying to figure some things out, let's say he views job one of saying, we're going to try to take Brock Bowers away. We're going to do whatever we have to do to take Brock Bowers away, and then just see what happens after that, because we're probably going to lose anyway. Why not do this one thing and just see how Georgia responds? Very good chance that Georgia has a very effective response in that particular situation, but I am curious to see what it is. I am curious to see who gets that many targets if the targets that have been going to Bowers are now forced to go somewhere else because he's just simply not open? I, I think Arkansas is going to do a lot of the same things that Clemson did against this Georgia, this Georgia offense in that first game of the season where they played a soft coverage in the back end, a lot of cover three, you know, forced the Georgia receivers to sort of find the soft pockets in sort of the zone there. And quite frankly, I don't know if Brock Bowers is going to be able to do that. I mean, granted, he had six catches, but for only 41 yards in that first game against Clemson there that day. I would think this may be a big game for Kiaris Jackson, a game where yeah. we see him get targeted quite a bit there in the slot. I'll be interested to see how often Georgia is able to go deep and stretch the field vertically here. I think that's where Jermaine Burton has really thrived, though he did do some nice things against Vanderbilt, I think, in those intermediate routes there. So, a, a JT Daniels is 100% healthy right now, or at least as healthy as you can be through four games of the season, and I think you're going to see this offense maybe attack this Arkansas defense in the way I think a lot of us assumed the Bulldogs would have against Clemson to start the season. I said this earlier, you know, there's a lot about the way this game sets up, even though I actually think Georgia's going to win and win pretty handily on Saturday. I'm not that worried about Arkansas, but the comparison that I can't quite shake is 2019 when Georgia was sailing through the beginning of the season against lesser competition, top 10 matchup against Notre Dame, Georgia was almost exactly the same degree of favorite against the Irish that it is against Arkansas. And while the atmosphere was great, by a standard of a team that thought it was self of a national championship contender, Georgia played pretty lousy that day against Notre Dame. And so I think on Saturday, if Georgia handles Arkansas the way that it's supposed to, I do think it demonstrates an example of just how much this program's grown up in a couple of years. There is a very different, and because you know I've been around the team for a while now, there's a very different feel around this Georgia team than even that 2019 team. And that 2019 team had a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. But as you point out, I think that Notre Dame game sort of exposed some of the very real shortcomings that, that came to fruition in the weeks following that Georgia-Notre Dame game this year. Again, I think Arkansas is set up to annoy this Georgia offense, make things difficult for them. But if Georgia goes out and they're patient and they execute, because you can go back and look last year, that Ole Miss-Arkansas game where Matt Corral threw six interceptions, and Matt yeah. Corral right now is playing as well as any quarterback in the country, It was, I think a lot of it was because the Ole Miss offense was just not patient and they were not willing to wait and sort of attack the way this Arkansas defense it was the way that it was supposed to be attacked. I think you're going to see Georgia come out and do that. I think JT Daniels does that much better than Matt Corral does, and that's why I think Georgia – I actually think they're going to cover on Saturday. Jeff said something on Friday's show, and I, I think tomorrow – I was going to try to do it today. I think I'm going to do it tomorrow just because hopefully I'll have a little bit more room in the show to be able to do it. He said something on Friday that I think is really important. And I think it works for Georgia recruiting, but I think it also kind of just works to tell the story of UGA. That if you think about the 2018-2019 defenses for Georgia that were statistically dominant, you know, they're giving up a dozen points a game or some crazy number like that. But the highlight reel is actually pretty short. Mm -hmm. And what Jeff said, and I think this is so true, that for recruits, and all of us kind of speak a language of video now. There's a reason that Instagram is so popular and TikTok is so popular and things like that. There's a reason why you know our show is on video. Video is just kind of the language we use to communicate with each other a little bit now. And that 
you know, there's a certain thing with recruits of don't tell me, show me. And if you can show the highlights of what Georgia is, I think that works for a recruit. And Jeff said this on Friday. I think it's a really good point. And at a certain point in time, I want to expand on, on our show. But if you could show a recruit on video, it's so much more valuable than telling a recruit with statistics. And if I think about Georgia myself, why do I think this team is better than the one in 2019 that kind of floundered at this point in the season? The highlights tell the story offensively and defensively. The highlight reel for this Georgia team is this long right now on both sides of the ball. And that's kind of all I need to know. It's not a perfect team, but it's collecting highlights at a at a clip that no Kirby Smart team has. And if I zero in on my own level of confidence, why this Georgia team truly might be different, it's the kind of highlights they're creating, even against overmatched competition. It's the kind of highlights they're creating that give me the sense that, yeah, this team does feel a little bit different than some of the ones that Kirby's had. Yeah, even this past week against Vanderbilt, where Georgia only had one sack. Go watch the way Jalen Carter played, and you can certainly find highlights of him on social media. He was just ragdolling that Vanderbilt yeah. that Vanderbilt offense where to the point where he was pretty clearly he pretty clearly would have been the best player on Vanderbilt's team. Connor, I mean this in sincerity. It was almost a Bishop Sycamore situation. And I, like at one point in time, I, I when when Jalen Carter threw a blocker aside and absolutely just, you know, Wally mopped a, a Vanderbilt running back. I almost wonder if he should even be in the game. Like, mm-hmm. is this dangerous to have him in this game right now? That's how singularly dominant he was. And, I mean, <laughs> like, you can decide where he ranks on the list of Georgia defensive linemen. But, I mean, th- you know, the idea that, that, you know, you're talking about him doing those things in addition to everything else that everybody else is doing. I mean, it's, it's really pretty remarkable. I mean, yeah, he did not start on Saturday. Right. And he pretty clearly came out there and showed why I think next year he's going to be an absolute star for this Georgia defense that should look very different. But you go back to Saturday, you mentioned the highlights and whatnot. Nine three and outs forced. Mm-hmm. Georgia had more points scored through most of that game than yards given up. It was just an absolute destruction. And yes, some can say that Georgia hasn't played a good offense to date, especially with the way Clemson's offense has looked. But I think some of that you can also point to, okay, well, this Georgia defense is just do, doing things that other teams aren't doing. And even in games against lesser competition, Southern Miss scored 14 points on Alabama this past weekend. Uh, FAU put up 20 points on Florida. This Georgia team is giving up nothing. They gave up nothing to UAB. They gave up one garbage time touchdown to South Carolina, and they gave up nothing to Vanderbilt. They are absolutely taking care of business every week, not just the first team, but some of those second teamers as well. All right, something else I want to talk about, and I think I'm going to do this in greater detail also later on the week. I thought Kirby Smart in discussing the efficiency of his running game was really pretty interesting yesterday. And this is where I you know, become at risk of being very nerdy and too deep on this subject for a moment, but – I think the idea of the efficiency of Georgia's running game is pretty interesting because for the people who don't really care about this kind of stuff, that's typically defined by like your success rate. What percentage of yards do you get compared to the yards that are available? In other words, on first and 10, do you get 40 or 50% of the available yards there, make it second and six or second and five? And do you get like 70% is typically what's expected on a second down run to be considered efficient there? And on third down, you got to move the chains. The point I'm getting to here is this, is that on those first down runs, you know, I think I've heard Kirby say in the past, they kind of define efficiency as four yards there in a first and 10 situation. And I would actually really prefer they think about that more along the lines of five yards. <laughs> to me, because if you read the math blogs and things like that, people talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And I realize that's just kind of like, you know, nerd. I totally understand that. But I do think there's a big difference between second five and second six. Yep. Because over the course of a game and over the course of the season, the difference between second six and second five is a lot more third downs. And that's going to lead to a few of those third downs just don't get converted because nobody's perfect on, on third down. So, in other words, you know, Kirby says by his own metrics, he feels like the running game is efficient. I'm going to go back and look at the Clemson game and kind of see kind of where things stand there because, as I said before, it seems like this team was facing a lot more second sixes than they were second fives. I think that one yard in that spot makes a very big difference. Yeah, I think Georgia's trying to figure out its running back situation and, and sort of – see who emerges there and who plays well and who sort of fits what they're able to do. And I actually think we did get some answers on that against Vanderbilt on Saturday, even if I don't think a Georgia running back had more than 50 yards. I think Zamir White's the best the best running back mm-hmm. on this team. I, I think that was pretty apparent early in the game when they were going to him. They were, I think, a more successful rushing team yeah. in that game. And then you think later in the game when they did get sort of stuffed there on the goal line, 
they gave it to Kenny McIntosh on a third and one, and then they gave it to James Cook on a fourth and one, and neither one of them were able to pick it up there. I and think, at that point in time, I think Zamir was intentionally being held. Yes, up. absolutely. I, I, I th- and, and to that point, I think if Zamir is out there, Zamir gets that one yard needed. Now, Kendall Milton did not pr- did not play last week with the shoulder injury, and I actually maybe part of me wonders if it's not the worst thing in the world because it does sort of force Georgia to make a decision and say, okay, I, I we think Zamir is the guy, and I actually think that the lower third right now says, will a UGA running back break out this week? Uh, it's a semi-bold prediction because we haven't had one through four games yet, but I'm going to say Zamir White gets over 100 yards on this Arkansas run. That's a great That's a great prediction. I, that, that's a really strong prediction. I, I guess what I would say, though, is even though you know Cook doesn't get the fourth and short situation there, the honest truth, though, is, is I thought he did some pretty impressive mm-hmm. things for Georgia on Saturday, and my point here is there are a lot of Georgia fans that want to see these running back carry numbers pared down a little bit. They want to see Georgia pick two guys and make them the Chubb and Michelle or the Holyfield Swift. They want to create that dynamic duo tandem. Here's the problem. You know, while on the one end, no one's really been all that spectacular from this group as of yet, there really hasn't been anyone who's shown himself to be worthy of being voted off the island yet either. So if you're Dale McGee and Kirby Smart, I don't really know what you do with that because I do think George would be better if he could find two very good running backs to give its majority carries to. But this group right now is neither distinguishing itself on the front end or eliminating eliminating itself on the back end. And so I guess for the for the foreseeable future, unless you're right and Zamir just really pops on Saturday, my guess is you'll continue to see the McIntosh, Cook, Milton, White, ensemble here a bit because that's kind of what the game performances are dictating doing i think mm-hmm. right and you know i i think until georgia plays a really competitive game there in the second half you know you think back to that clemson game as that game went on it was clear georgia was going to keep giving the ball to james cook and zamir white especially on that last drive there and you know i don't think this arkansas game is going to be all that close auburn i don't think is going to be a close game either kentucky has not really impressed me in recent weeks so, you know, maybe that Florida game, we, we were forced to find out some answers there. But I, I also think that part of this in getting McIntosh and, and when Ken Milton comes back, getting those guys involved, what that does is it keeps it keeps Samir healthy towards the end of the season. It yeah. keeps James Cook healthy toward the end of the season. Because you can look back at 2019, I think Georgia, Georgia relied pretty heavily there on DeAndre Swift. And, and for most of the year that worked – and then his carry load and his number of touches got to a point where just with because of the way football is played, once you hit a certain threshold of carries, you're just more likely to get hurt or dinged up. And that's what happened to DeAndre Swift in the Georgia Tech game. And then he wasn't 100% for that LSU game. I think Georgia, because of the way they use their running backs, and I think this has worked out in, say, 2017 and even 2018, they were able to sort of mitigate some of those long-term wear and tear injuries that happen that limit sort of your top running backs and I think that's part of the reason you're seeing them do this as well final point on this I I agree with you what you said a moment ago in that if Georgia's up four with a minute and a half to go in the fourth quarter against Florida and it's a third and three I'll trust Zamir White to get those three yards right now and and I'll, I'll live and die with Zamir there in that spot that's my best guess here at the moment. I want to talk to you about the big hot topic related to the game on Saturday, the Noon Star, here in a moment. Let me first of all remind folks that it's our uh, Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here right now. And, of course, Kroger, great news. They've got open job positions for you right now to really jump in there and take advantage of the great benefits that Kroger offers for its employees, whether you're talking about uh, associate discounts, next day pay for full and part-time positions, and endless opportunities to advance because in this time in our life that's one of the things i think that matters most is getting into a place and taking advantage of the current opportunity we're in to really grow in your career and leapfrog you know maybe those who are kind of in your same age category things like that this is a great chance to advance in your life professionally speaking and kroger is going to give you a chance to do that jobs.kroger.com for more details on that jobs.kroger.com for more details on that you can also stop by and apply in store there as well all right connor let me just give you a i guess a broad question to start with and we'll kind of zero in a little bit more after that what do you think about noon saturday as the game time for georgia and arkansas i think i'm okay with it i think you know obviously when this game was first announced i was like eh, i don't love that i understood why because arkansas uh, is still sort of arkansas and auburn lsu why both those teams i don't think are certainly even to the caliber of Arkansas, you know, that's still a big game that I think Joe, Joe casual fan will tune in to watch. I don't, I'm not sure if the casual college football fan is tuning in to watch Arkansas at this point in time, but Arkansas is a top 10 team uh, based off what we have seen on the field this season. 
college game day is going to be there. This is not, I don't think, going to feel like a noon kickoff. Certainly, I don't yeah. think it's going to feel like that South Carolina game did in 2019. And so I think because of all that, because of all the pomp and circumstance that is now surrounding this game, I think I feel a lot better about sort of it being at noon. The weather's supposed to be great. I think there's going to be a real energy in the stadium yeah. that day. And I also certainly understand why Kirby Smart made the comments that he did immediately after the Vanderbilt game saying, hey, we need to have people there. We need to be charged up. We need this to be a legitimate atmosphere. Uh, I believe yesterday he came out and sort of expounded on that and said, we need the energy in the crowd for an 801 kickoff. We need there to be, we need that to be there at 1201. And I actually do think we're going to go out and see that because of everything else that is sort of surrounding this game as it is. I agree with everything you just said there. One of our commenters Mark Morris said on video earlier today that he thinks it's going to be the greatest noon game crowd ever and I think, you know, jokingly, I think that may end up being true. I don't have any doubt the atmosphere is going to be good. And it's pretty clear how big the game is given the fact that game day is there and that the Herb Street Fowler broadcast team is doing the game. Here's the only point that I'm going to make on this, and I've said this now a couple of times. The value of the night games is so much greater than the value of the noon. Even if Georgia like does the impossible and gets all the students there and gets the recruits there, I think Georgia's probably going to thread this needle pretty well this week because Kirby's making it such a priority. Even if Georgia pulls this off, it doesn't change the fact that the noon game as a commodity is just less valuable than the later game. Yep. The SEC has got to be more transparent about this because here's what I'm hearing off the air all week long. Well, you know, they're doing blah, blah, blah. You know, whether it be showing favoritism to LSU because they like the night games or showing favoritism about this or showing favoritism about that. The rumor mill just runs crazy about why Georgia's playing at noon as opposed to the night game. And who knows what's true and who knows what's what, what's not. You know, it could be that just ESPN just like the idea of, of putting a big game on right after its game day product. And if you got a chance to put Georgia, Arkansas on the big network, you don't bat an eye at, at getting the chance to do that. But the SEC, which isn't transparent about anything, so they're not going to be transparent about this either. But just given the fact that the night games are so much more valuable, it is easier to get recruits there. It is an unbelievably better atmosphere because of all the technology that exists in the stadiums now. Talking about why someone's playing at noon versus why someone's playing at night, that's a lot more necessary than it used to be because the in-stadium atmosphere just keeps getting better and better for the night games. And frankly, it does lag, typically speaking, for the day games. If it's one of those deals where every school in the league's going to take one for the league at some point in time and do the noon start, then just come out and say that. Mm-hmm. But to like you know leave it unsaid why a game this big is this early in the day, boy, I don't know how well that works in 2021 anymore. Yeah, there's some. Uh, there's been a statement that's put out, been put out by ESPN saying pointing to the fact that uh, well, you know, if we had gone with the six o'clock uh, game time, which is when Florida and Kentucky will kick off that uh, you know the game will be impacted a little bit by the Alabama Ole Miss game. To that I say, I mean, really? Right. I mean, there, there's a chance that Alabama Ole Miss game is over by 6 o'clock in terms of competitiveness yeah. on the field. And look, you're the, the ESPN is going to have all the rights to the SEC starting in the 2024 season. CBS is going away. CBS is not paying the SEC a whole lot of money compared to what it should be making. Yep. Why not make that six o'clock in the game, six o'clock game, the marquee game? And yes, you can say that you know ESPN wants to compete against Fox and their big noon kickoff there. Do you know who's playing at noon on Fox on Saturday? I actually don't know. Is it Notre Dame, Cincinnati? No, no. it is Wisconsin and Michigan. I it, mean, Wisconsin already lost what twice? Twice, yeah, got blown out by Notre Dame. On the Saturday. only fun part about watching Wisconsin right now is watching them when they have to pass because it is an absolute disaster every yeah. time that happens. I, I get why ESPN put them at noon. There, there are reasons for it. But from a Georgia perspective, yeah, you would have loved for this to have been even a 6 o'clock start time. Yeah. I, I think that just creates a better atmosphere. It, it is a more special atmosphere. I think one that college football tends to want to celebrate. It's going to be celebrated when LSU and Auburn kick off at 9 p.m. Two teams that, quite frankly, based on the way they've played so far this season, look a lot more like noon kickoff games than night kickoff games. I mean, I'll just say this. like The Georgia-South Carolina atmosphere – was so great. Georgia was a 30-point favorite against South Carolina team that had no identity whatsoever. And the best that I could tell, the only reason the atmosphere was so good was because it was a night game. Yep. Like, that's the only – the atmosphere was incredible. It just so happened to be a night game. You know, this time of year, Athens is so nice on a Saturday evening. Yep. It's just a pretty big commodity uh, all the way around there. And by the way, there's a chance that Georgia's at noon 
11 a.m. local time another week next week at Auburn I guess that might not be such a bad thing if it takes the Auburn crowd out of it but weird to think that a national championship contender as legit as Georgia could play noon starts three weeks in a row I only think they play at noon if they lose to Arkansas I think that's just what they're waiting to see because because ESPN made the mistake beforehand because the Florida Kentucky and Texas A&M Mississippi State games were both sort of given that six-day option window and they were sort of you know waiting to see what would happen there and they elected not to put George Arkansas in that same window and I think if they had to do it over again they probably would have and so because of that I think that's why you saw them put the Georgia Auburn and I believe the Ole Miss Arkansas game in that 12 to that either 12 o'clock or 3 30 window and based on I think the Georgia Arkansas game that's going to determine what time that Auburn game is next week big week around the SEC a lot of big games it's going to be that way for most of this conference including the home team here for a lot over the course of the next few weeks Connor thanks for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take we appreciate your information yep as always was a pleasure take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through so we'll get going here with our uh, sec through um let me also give a shout out to our friends at finish long drink and by the way this is totally unprompted uh this was a real thing that actually happened you know a lot, a lot of times when people do like the the ad read you know there's sometimes the personal anecdote that doesn't quite feel real well this actually truly did happen the other night you know uh my poor wife who's always chasing my kids around and you know doing all kinds of uh you know just Days are pretty crazy when you got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and so you finally get them to bed, and she's sitting on the couch getting ready to just kind of you know relax for the night. And she's like, "Boy, I should have loved those uh, finished long drink cranberries." And she went in there and you know got one of the refrigerator. We actually collected a bunch of that because we had some left over from Dog Nation Invasion the other day, so we got a nice refrigerator full of uh, long drink uh, uh, cranberry right now. And so she popped the top on one of those and had that. Uh, to kind of relax after what had been a pretty crazy day, which most of them are in our household these days, with me in the midst of football season and the kids in the midst of all the stuff they're doing. And uh, she certainly was very happy to have that. And if you haven't tried it yourself, you can certainly enjoy that too. It's um, four different varieties. As I said before, she loves the cranberry. I, I kind of like the traditional, which is a blue can, has kind of a grapefruit flavor, kind of a gin kick with a grapefruit flavor. Great, great uh, stuff. It's a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can. Comes from Finland. You know, starting in Helsinki in the 1950s and then been in the United States for a couple of years, now available here in Georgia and pretty much wherever you are, you can find yourself some finished long drinks. So please find it online go to thelongdrink.com and you can figure out where you can pick up some today. That's thelongdrink.com and you can pick that up today. All right, a few stories for our SEC through that I want to roll through here uh, just for a moment. There's a guy named Brad Powers who... I don't actually know Brad personally, but I think he's a pretty good follow on Twitter. He kind of approaches college football from a gambling standpoint. Let me just say this about that idea for a moment. We talk point spreads and things like this. Like, I don't care if you ever bet on a game or not. Some of you enjoy doing that, and we kind of have fun with people who do. Some of you, you know, don't care to do that, which is, you know, fine with me there as well. But I do think understanding the way that point spreads work and the way that point spreads set a level of expectation per, for performance. You know, did you exceed expectation? Did you fall short of what the experts thought you should be able to do? I do think that's a valuable way of understanding the sport. And from that standpoint, what Brad Powers pointed out the other day, just how good Arkansas has been this season relative to what people thought was possible for the Hogs at the beginning of the year. Here's what he shows you on Twitter. It's the f- it's the teams that thus far this season are 4-0 and against the spread. Do we have the Brad Powers tweet? Can we show this for a second? The teams that are 4-0 and against the spread thus far this year and the points per game in which they are exceeding their spreads. And what you see is Arkansas, along with Bowling Green, Rutgers, and uh, uh, Texas San Antonio, are the four teams in the country this year that are exceeding that are that are four and zero against the spread? And what you see on the base of Arkansas is not only have they covered in all four of their games thus far, they have done so by an average of thirteen point three points per game. That is a remarkable performance. That week after week after week, they keep doing better than the experts think they're supposed to. Because here's the one thing about the experts: is you know. They may be slow in figuring things out, but over the course of four games, they're going to start upgrading their own performance expectation for you. So not only is Arkansas doing better, but as the spreads are also moving in their direction, they keep right on exceeding those performances. You also saw Ole Miss as one of those 3-0 teams in a similar situation there. Interesting that both Arkansas and Ole Miss find themselves as big underdogs on the road on Saturday. So while a lot of us do think that Georgia probably handles its business against Arkansas on Saturday – 
this through four games has not really been a paper tiger. They've beaten both Texas and Texas A&M. They've done so in pretty emphatic fashion. They you know won easily in in their other games besides that. This is a team that's really gotten it done thus far this year. And regardless of what happens on Saturday, Sam Pittman deserves a lot of credit for that. Speaking of interesting things that I saw on Twitter, uh, our buddy Peter Burns had an interesting uh, tweet as well recently looking at the ranked teams that remain on top team schedules. And what you see is a lot of SEC teams at the top of this. So what Peter says is, here are the uh, ranked opponents left on the schedule for Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. Uh, they each have four. Penn State has four there as well. Teams that still have three ranked opponents left on their schedule. That's Georgia, Texas A&M, Michigan, Ohio State. Then you've got Oklahoma, who has a couple, Florida, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oregon, Iowa. They each only have one. Here's the point that I'm going to make. And if you don't mind leaving that uh, tweet on the screen there for a moment. Listen, I don't have any problem with um, the Big Ten champion making the college football playoff. Do you mind if I see that one more time, just real quick? I don't have any problem with Penn State or Ohio State or whoever wins the uh, Big Ten making the college football playoff. The Big Ten's a pretty deep league right now. Michigan's better than folks thought. I mentioned a moment ago, like a team like Rutgers has actually been better than a lot of folks thought they would be. Uh, Iowa's pretty good right now. You know, the Big Ten deep enough the conference champion the big 10 making the college football playoff i got no problem with that whatsoever but look at peter burns here again who gives you bama arkansas ole miss georgia texas a&m you know the one outlier of, of contending teams is florida but all those sec teams who have been good thus far and still play a whole bunch of other ranked opponents before the season is done now, if you just kind of brought somebody into the sport who doesn't follow the sport closely and said, here are two categories of teams. On the one side, you've got Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Georgia, Texas A&M, Florida. And on the other side, you've got Penn State, Michigan, uh, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oregon, Iowa. And you said, okay, out of these two categories, which is the better of these two categories? I think most people would say, well, it's the category that has the SEC teams in that have actually been the best bunch if you're going to do that side-by-side comparison. But here's what most of you know. Despite the fact that that's true, despite the fact those SEC teams will be tested more over the course of the rest of the season than the Big 12 or Pac-12 teams do, the ACC's been totally eliminated from contention. Notre Dame gets to be there simply because of their historic cachet. Somehow the group that includes the very best of the SEC right now is likely to only get one playoff bid, whereas the other half of the country is likely to get three playoff bids? At a certain point in time, don't we have to just open up and speak clearly about how unfair that is, about how unjust that is? And listen, I understand the business motivations around the sport. I get the idea that a national sport's better than a regional sport. You know, hockey is fledgling as a sport because it's regional. It's played in Canada. It's played, you know, in the high, you know, northern, you know, quadrant of our country it's never expanded in popularity because of the regional nature of the sport I, I get why you don't want college football to be the kind of thing that only exists in the Sun Belt but at a certain point in time how much you know competitive imbalance are you willing to tolerate before you you know you you finally acknowledge what is true that in a year like this it is obvious the sec deserves more than one playoff team and yes that seems somewhat self-serving because a school like georgia has been the one most likely left out in years in which the sec probably deserved more than one team but look at what Ole miss has done this far look at what arkansas has done this far look at what georgia and alabama are doing as much as it pains me to admit look at what florida has done thus far you know the the collection of teams near the top of the sec i think speak to right now a league that definitely deserves more than one playoff team and we'll see later on if the committee has the guts to actually do what is right in that regard a couple other things here real quick a lot of folks thought last night that nick saban making an appearance on that you know manning simulcast for the monday night football may have had a veiled recruiting pitch to arch manning because he was talking about you know quarterbacks i forget the exact quote but it's something the effect of you know quarterbacks should always choose to go where the talent is the best and there's some twitter activity of ooh, nick saban veiled veiled pitch at uh, arch manning come to alabama that's where the talent is the best maybe that's the case but i don't know folks 2023 is that still true uh let's find out let's watch that closely and kind of see how the rest of this year plays out and uh everything else kind of plays out there as well clearly that's what alabama has used to great effect it's um you know, most recent recruiting class was obviously put together in part because of the pitch that Saban makes on TV. Of, yeah, just make the easy choice. Come to where all the best players are. And Alabama used that this past recruiting cycle. 
Let's see if that still works so well at the end of this particular year. Let's just watch that closely to see. One more SEC through story to get to. So if you ever wonder why those of us who just love college football and just obsess over every dot and tittle of the sport do so, it's moments like what we might get on Saturday where Auburn goes to LSU fresh off a almost lost to Georgia State, total chaos around the program, firing a wide receivers coach like barely out of the starting blocks of the season. Brian Harson getting grilled about that in his press conference. You're going to Baton Rouge. You haven't won there since 1999. It's like this game's already got, you know, a page and a half worth of storyline subplots as it is. And now the possibility exists that TJ Finley, a guy who was playing and at times playing pretty well for LSU a year ago before Max Johnson finally emerged. TJ Finley now playing for Auburn is a very good chance of being the starting quarterback against his old team in Death Valley on Saturday. Does it get any better than that? I mean, the SEC's ability to deliver delicious soap opera quality drama never, ever dissipates. It never, ever diminishes. It's just, it, it just regenerates itself year after year. Now, we don't know as of yet who's actually going to be the quarterback. I'll show you a tweet here from Tom Green who covers the Auburn Tigers here with basically kind of a non-committal answer from Brian Harson and all this. The quote here is, the starting quarterback has not been decided yet. I know depth charts come out. Depth charts are a little bit old school. We would all agree with that. We don't really make too much of those anymore. So many things change during the week. We're going to get our quarterbacks prepared today and tomorrow morning. I mean, what Harson can't say there, which most of us probably agree with, at this point in time, I don't see how you could possibly go back to, to Bo Nix. Nix is just struggling too bad. And, you know, Finley's not a perfect quarterback either. He lost his job at LSU for a reason. But he came in, made the throw when he had to on Saturday and gave Auburn the only spark it was likely to get. So not only is it the more dramatic choice to play Finley against his old team for Auburn right now, it's probably the better choice. But I told you this yesterday. I'll repeat this. Good coaches, competent coaches, quality programs are not firing assistant coaches four games into a season. They're just not. And, you know, this notion that the wide receivers coach is the thing that was wrong with Auburn on the heels of playing Georgia State way closer than it should have. We just all know that's not true. It's the kind of knee jerk reaction that makes Brian Harson feel way too much like Jeremy Pruitt, who did a similar thing with his defensive line coach. Those are coaches that are not long for the SEC, typically speaking. Brian Harson better be very, very careful. There is a fairly interesting race going on right now to decide who the biggest disaster is of first-year head coaches. And uh, Harson's a part of that race right now, so be very careful. Make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, as the marathon broadcast rolls on here, um, uh, of course, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, this is not really important. I just think it's kind of interesting. There's a recruit that I'd never heard of. Most of you probably haven't heard of him either, and I'm not making fun of him because we don't make fun of recruits. Um... But he had his recent commitment ceremony. And if you want to know like the stature of the Georgia program, how much the program has grown, like Georgia is now a hat on the like Alabama's been this way. When I was a kid, Michigan basketball was this way. In the in the aftermath of the Fab Five, you had basketball recruits for like 20 years who were putting Michigan in their list of finalists. And like the Michigan coaching staff has been fairly open about this. There were people like listing Michigan as a finalist in basketball for their recruitment that Michigan had never heard of, but they just love Michigan because of the Fab Five that eventually is a program. You get to such a high level that when teams or recruits list their top five finalists and things like that, you know, the big program just has a way of kind of sneaking in there. And so Georgia's now kind of at that level where you may not realize this, but Georgia got hat tossed during a commitment ceremony the other day. Let me show you this. I think we have the video we can show you here. So here's the recruit. He's choosing between Georgia and I think Toledo is one of the hats on the table. And you just saw it right there. The Georgia hat got thrown to the ground. And the, uh, the gentleman in question here uh, puts the uh, sparky hat on for Arizona State, which, uh, first of all, congratulations, you know, getting a chance to play for Herm Edwards and that Arizona State program. That's a great education and a good place to go. But how about the Georgia hat just laying down there on the ground? The, uh, the, the Arizona hat came out from nowhere. The Georgia hat gets tossed down. So uh, you may not have been aware of that, but the Georgia hat got tossed in a commitment ceremony this week. And congratulations to a young man who gets a chance to further his education there in Tempe. And I know that he will certainly enjoy all of that. Connor mentioned our picks. 
And of course, each week we do those on Go With The Flow, but also you get a chance to be a part of that with us each and every Thursday. We do our Bet US Best Bets. And by the way, speaking of Bet US, as we head towards the week, start thinking about these big games. You can start thinking about your own opinions about Ole Miss being a big underdog at Alabama, Arkansas being a big underdog coming in here to Georgia, all the other big games of the weekend there. And listen, you hear me make my picks every week. You say, I know more about this stuff than B.A. does. There's a very good chance that you do. And if you do, you should make some money off your expertise. You should sign up with my friends at BetUS. You should take advantage of a great offer. Listen, BetUS has been America's most popular sports book now going back 25 years. And you don't stick around that long. You don't stay so loved by your clientele unless you're taking really good care of your players. BetUS is doing that, including right now you can use the promo code DN125. That stands for Dog Nation. The 125 stands for the fact that you get a 125% sign-up bonus. That means you put in however many dollars you want to, Bet US is going to give you 125% more money than that before you even place your first bet. Before you even win your first bet, you're already a winner with Bet US when you use the promo code DN125. That's the promo code, the website, betus.com. Check it out today. Use the promo code DN125. And best of luck with your picks this week at Bet US. All right, uh, we'll wrap things up here today. Pretty funny. Do you mind if we bring that music down just a little bit? Uh, pretty good stuff for, as our Gatorator roll call and our golden shoe. Our buddy Mad Dog suggesting that Dan Mullen may have a little bit of a rooting interest against the dogs on Saturday. We have seen him openly root against Georgia before. He was forced to do that uh, late after losing to a Georgia one of the years that he did so. I think it was, what, 2019 when that happened? So Mad Dog writes on Twitter, when you're more focused on Georgia game this Saturday than your own game, first of all, Mullen better be careful at Kentucky. I'll just leave it at that. But he gives you a woo pig suey. For some reason, Mullen wearing the like the the hog hat. That's just funny to me. <laughs> I don't know why. I just think that's that's very, very funny. So a uh, pretty good job by Mad Dog on that. We'll make you the golden shoe winner for today. Speaking of those lousy stinking gators, dogs in Jacksonville just 30 something day 32 days from right now to get that win over the lousy stinking gators we'll see tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time off the rs andrews podcast cool down first of all let me say a quick apology so yesterday we did not have a podcast cool down and it was because of a logistics issue that i was dealing with and it was one of those things where i was going to try to record something short and let all of you know that Hey, sorry, can't take comments today, but we'll do it again tomorrow. I was going to try to do that, but it was also one of those things, if I took more time to record that, it was going to be a little bit later getting the show up. And so I made the decision, I hope it was the correct decision, but I made the decision to say, okay, well, let me just get the show up today without any kind of cool down reference whatsoever, and I'll just apologize for it tomorrow. That way, there are certain people, because we try to get the show posted by like 1230 every day that kind of like to listen to it during that lunchtime. And and out of respect for those people, I try to get the show up as quickly as I can because they have a specific time they want to listen to it. And so I think we were, I think we were up yesterday by 1245. And so I made the decision to get it posted earlier as opposed to take a few more minutes. Long story short, we just didn't have the cool down yesterday because I had something I had to do yesterday. And so we got the regular show, but no cool down. But today we are back with the cool down. And we'll take a couple of your comments. You can hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. You can put the comments in the comments section when I post the show each and every day at, the dog, at dognation.com. And just really appreciate all of that. I, I, I briefly mentioned Larry Munson off to the top of today's show. And I had also kind of shared recently um, the terrific SEC Network segment they put online of the sec legends broadcaster documentary they're doing and it's amazing how many people have responded to that with their own feelings about larry munson gary harris saying there'll never be another like him uh jason free checking in to say larry was the best i would love to hear him talk about this defense and boy that'd be great he says we always turn the volume down the tv and listen to larry on the radio he made the game so much better yeah back then my experience was it was way easier to do that you know now and I'm not smart enough to know why this is, but because of like the satellite technologies and the way in which everybody's got DVRs now and all those different things on your TV makes the TV signal slower than it used to be. If you're ever watching TV outside the stadium or like if you're in the press box and the TV's on, you really 
are, are, are you realize just how far behind the TV broadcast is from the live action. For instance, if I'm sitting in the press box, you can watch a play and then see the result of the play and say, wow, that was an interesting play. I wonder what happened. And then you turn around and look at the TV screen behind you and you can now watch not the replay, but the actual play itself happen on TV. That I mean, the actual broadcast is a good 10, 15 seconds behind what you're seeing in live action. And my memory is and maybe it wasn't quite this way, but my memory is, is that, you know, TV when I was a kid wasn't quite so far behind um, that it was a little easier to watch both things at the same time. Now, there's also a way now that if you want to pause your DVR and you can get it synced up now, but you have to work a lot harder to do that than you used to. But yeah, it was very common, very common to listen to Larry Munson and um, and watch the game on on TV. We did that in my family growing up so much. But there were also a lot of games that the only way that I ever experienced the game was listening to Larry Munson. The game wasn't on television. I remember being at some of my parents' friends' house for the 93 World Se- 92 World Series. For the 92, Braves weren't in the 93 World Series. For the 92 World Series. And I remember like the whole you know crowd for the watch party is in the living room uh, uh, watching the Braves and the Blue Jays. And I remember sitting in the garage listening to a Georgia-Kentucky game on the radio like the uh you know just some random georgia kentucky game that was only on the radio it was not on tv it's only on the radio while the, everybody else in the world was watching the braves and the blue not that i wasn't interested in that too but it's like you know i couldn't get too settled in on this braves game until i figured out exactly how this georgia kentucky game was going to go so yeah I, I mean i i have you know i have pretty vivid memories of, of a lot of that, whether it be syncing up the TV or just listening to the radio, because that was the only way to listen to it. Michael Bush says, Larry was one in a billion, an absolute treasure. I used to listen to him while I was watching the game at uh, uh, Sanford and sometimes at away games in later years. It's never been the same since he's gone. I wish my kids could have had that experience. He's uh, as much a Georgia legend as anyone. Totally agree with all of that. Do, how many people still listen to the earpiece in the stadium anymore? How much of a thing is that? Uh, I don't feel like I see as much of the, of course, I'm not really in the stands as much anymore either, but, you know, it used to be a very common thing. Like, you know, you have the hat on and you have the, the headphone radio over that, or you just have the, you know, the, the smaller earpieces, but the folks listening to the radio while they were watching the game, that was definitely a very big thing. And for road games, you know, the George broadcast team would always like throw a banner, a small banner outside the broadcast booth of what frequency they were on locally I always kind of remember that kind of being a thing there too. Uh, very much a, a a big deal. And you know what Munson was as much as anything was a narrator of the experience. Yes, he called the game, and sometimes that was your only way of experiencing the game. But what the the memory of Larry Munson is not so much the the specific play by play calls. It's the experience of having been a fan living through that game and Munson's narration of the feelings around it, the emotions around it. That was as prominent as anything on that. And I'm glad to know that so many Georgia fans so many years later still have those very, very prominent memories of all of that. And I got so many messages on Twitter to that effect. And that was a really cool thing to be able to see. So for all of your comments, whether they be on Twitter or at the comment section, dognation.com or however you get to us, thanks for sharing those as a part of our podcast, Cool Down. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Of course, you can find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. But you've got to find them online at rsandrews.com in order for them to be able to do that for you. So check them out and then check us back at, here again tomorrow as we bring you Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.